نستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له فاشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له فاشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله All the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We'd like to begin this evening in this the first topic that we have selected from our Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verses 183 and one, one to 185. And these verses, the subject of these verses are at particularly the fast in Ramadan and fasting in general also can be understood from it and the obligation of the fast specifically in Ramadan. Uh, before entering the topic, I just wanted to mention that as we have discussed previously, Leading up to this first talk, um, it was basically agreed upon that rather than trying to just simply read uh, the whole translation of the tafsir of Ibn Kathir, that we would take some selected topics, some of them dealing with matters of worship and ibadah, and some dealing with matters of belief or al-aqidah and some dealing with other matters such as al-adab al-akhlaq, manners and character and so on. So these topics were selected and it's subject to review but in any case perhaps insha'Allah they will be of benefit as they cover a wide range of different topics uh, from the many topics that are found in the Qur'an. The manner that I would like to follow Ta'ala, is to read something of what has been mentioned in the Tafsir of Ibn Kathir and primarily to rely on the comments of Al-Hafiz Ibn Kathir Rahimahullah for the basis of our discussion. But sometimes the tafsir may be very lengthy. Sometimes it's very lengthy. And the time that we have to cover that topic won't be sufficient. Uh, therefore, I will do the best that I can to read as much of it as possible and to summarize what may be too lengthy to read 
to leave some time for discussion and as well to add to it perhaps some important comments that come from the other books of Tafsir, especially the summary of Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah, uh, from the earlier scholars and from the later scholars also perhaps some of the comments of Al-Imam Al-Shawkani or of contemporary scholars such as Al-Imam or Al-Sheikh uh, Abdurrahman Al-Sa'adi, Sheikh Abu Bakr Al-Juzairi and other any available books of tafsir primarily focusing on the things that they may have mentioned which are not mentioned by the Hafiz Al-Kathir and also trying to list some of the benefits or the rulings or the benefits uh, uh, the points of guidance that are found in the verses under discussion <coughs> the verses that we selected for tonight are related to fasting in general and the fast of Ramadan in particular and the reasoning for this was the recent uh, completion of the fast of the month of Ramadan and perhaps it is a reminder to myself and to each of us that although Ramadan has passed fasting as an act of ibadah is still encouraged upon the believers men as well as women and particularly in this month of Shawwal where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam encouraged the Muslim who has completed the number of days of Ramadan at 29 or 30, whatever the case may be, he has encouraged us that we should fast a voluntary fast of six days in the month of Shawwal. And the time remaining in this month is still sufficient for those who haven't completed those six days, for those who haven't begun those six days, and it's voluntary and the reward for it is great as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in Sama Ramadan فَمَّا أَتْبَعَهُ سِتَّ مِنْ شَوَالِ كَانَ كَسْيَانَ الدَّهَرُ But whoever fast the month of Ramadan meaning the complete month of Ramadan and then after completing the month of Ramadan they follow it the fasting six days from this month of Shawal it will be as though I mean the reward for fasting, adding those six days to the month of Ramadan would be as though the person is fasting for the whole year. In these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins addressing the believers, Ya yuhal ladhina amanu All you who believe, Qutiba, Qutiba alaykum al-siyam Kama Qutiba ala al-ladhina min qablikum Ta'allakum tattakum all who believe fasting has been prescribed or ordained or made obligatory upon you as it was made obligatory on those before you that you may achieve a taqwa. Uh, in this translation of the Tafsir Ibn Kathir, which is, you can say, Tahweeb or Mukhtasab, in which some portions of the statements of Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir has been eliminated possibly due to repetition or for other reasons uh, he begins as 
Ibn Kathir began in the original text of the book with the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the believers in this verse and, and ordering them. In these words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed the believers, meaning the Muslims of this ummah, and He has ordered them to fast, that is to abstain from food, drink, and sexual activity with the intention of doing so sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And here there are two points of great importance that should be observed. The first of them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these words is addressing the believers. And many verses in the Quran begin with these words, Ya Yuhaladina Manu. Although the whole of the Quran is applicable and is needed by every believer, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has selected certain portions of the Quran to be introduced by the words Ya Yuhaladina Amanu to make it known that these words are specifically for those who believe. And in these words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also made it known that it is an obligation, it is obligatory on the Muslims to fast, to abstain from food and drink and sexual activities with their spouse. And of utmost importance in the definition of astiyam, as some of the scholars mention, and also Ibn Kathir mentions in his tafsir, and the essential part of the definition of astiyam is that it should include a niyyah. In every act of ibadah, there are two conditions in order for it to be accepted. The first of them is that it should be with ikhlas. The, the intention should be purely for Allah alone. And the second of them is that it should be in accordance with the sharia, in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So here we Kathir he begins by making it known that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these words addressing the believers and that he has ordered us, he has commanded us, making us known that it is an obligation, it is obligatory to fast in this month of Ramadan and that a person should be sincere for Allah alone. And then, Ibn Kathir begins to mention some of the reasons for which the fast has been made obligatory or the benefits of fasting and from amongst them he said, the fast and the fruit, what tahara to her, what tanqiyya to her, min al-akhlaq, that some amongst the benefits of fasting is purification of the self, purification of the soul. That a person who engages in fasting properly, they should benefit by the, I mean, the fact that fasting is a purification of the soul and it also enables the person to cleanse themselves from the evil that or ill behavior or ill conduct the, I mean, the characteristics that are unbecoming of a Muslim, al-akhlaq, al-raziyah, that they should be able to eliminate these things or at least reduce them. Then he mentions that he made it obligatory on the believers. And he mentions, he mentions that he made the fast obligatory in the words, kutiba alaykum. Kutiba alaykum, it means, as the scholar says, furida alaykum al-awjaba. And in that it has been made obligatory. The fast of Ramadan is obligatory. And this is where the other fasting is also encouraged but not obligatory. Then he says, in those words that came after this, كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ And just as it was made a belief from those before you, that here Allah mentions that the fasting that has been made a belief in Muslims is also made a belief in those before us. So that they are an example for us. And they are now who came before us. So that the Muslims have an example of some of those who preceded them and also they have other people or other nations 
the communities of the previous prophets to strive with, to compete with. And this is understood in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another place in the Quran, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, that here Ibn Kathir mentions, this is similar to the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لِكُلِّمْ جَعَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ شُرْعَةً وَمِنْ حَاجَةً And we have made for every one of you, and for every, uh, for every nation we have made for them a prescribed law, a legislation, in a clear way, a path to follow. وَلَوْ شَعَ اللَّهِ لَجَعَلَكُمْ إِمَّةً وَاحِدًا If Allah had made, He could have made you one nation, but He divided the people up into nations. He made the people into different nations, and everyone who was given a law, and everyone who was given their minhaj, or their way to follow. And the reason for this is mentioned in the end of the verse, وَلَكِنْ لِيَبَلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا أَتَاكُمْ but the reason for this, that Allah didn't make the people into one nation, is so that He may test them what He has given them, what He has given to you, and so that you may hasten or strive or compete with one another in the doing of good. Also, He mentions that also concerning the benefits of fasting, besides and the physical cleansing of the body, but it now is the path of shaitan. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing that opens the path for shaitan to, to have control over a person is they're over-engaging in eating and drinking and pleasures. And so by reducing the amount of eating and drinking and engaging in those pleasures or desires, the person is able to gain control over themselves and to tighten or close the way through which shaitan goes through someone's body. So he said that this fasting now is the path of shaitan. And this is also understood in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam reported in al-Bukhari wa Muslim Ya ma'ashar al-shabab man istata'a minkum al-ba'ata community or group of young people, those of you who are young and those people who are eligible for marriage and who are in need of being married, he said, whichever one of you can afford to marry, then you must marry. The land here, it is Lam al-Amr, it means that it is a command. It is a word, it is the same thing that Allah orders us, it means that we are commanded. If anyone is able, then they are obligated to marry. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِيعُ فَعَلَيْهُ بِالْسَوْمُ فَإِنَّهُ لَهُ مُجَاوُنُ And whoever is not able to marry, they don't have the ability or the means to marry, then فَعَلَيْهُ بِالْسَوْمُ then must fast. Because fasting will be as a shield for him to protect him and to enable him to control his desires so that he doesn't go out of the bounds of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, made lawful for us. So fasting is made known that fasting is one of the ways through which the young person who has a need for marriage but is unable to marry, it is one of the means through which they gain control over themselves. Then uh, after this, Ibn Sifiyya mentions the following ayah in reference to the fast of Ramadan, Iyaman Ma'adudat, that the fast it is a limited number of days a fixed number of days. And this is it is an encouragement. It is a means of relief for the believers knowing 
that fasting has not been ordained for us every day. It has not been ordained for us throughout the year. But it has only been ordained for a fixed, limited number of days. One month in the whole year, we have to fast, and the other 11 months for the rest of the year, it's not obligatory to fast. So it's encouraged. So we said that uh, this was an encouragement for the believers and relief for them so that it wouldn't be a hardship. It wouldn't be a hardship on the people which it has been made obligatory on them to fast more than that. Then the next topic that is dealt with here uh, in the Tafsir are the stages that fasting went through. And in fact, uh, this is a lengthy discussion. The important thing is that the main point that may be understood, and inshallah all of us should have already read uh, what we are going to take each week before we come, so it's not necessary to read it all, but the important, the essence of the topic here is the fact that fasting is ordained among believers in stages. It's the beverage. And this is from the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He always made the obligations on the people according to that which they have the ability to carry. And if it was difficult on them, then He obligated on the people little by little, by degree, little by little until they were able to uh, carry it. So here, the Hafiz al talks about the topic of fasting being uh, made obligatory on the believers in six stages. And he mentioned the hadith from Al-Bukhari and Muslim from Aisha radiallahu anha that in the beginning the fasting that was made obligatory on the believers was the of Ashura. It was obligatory. But when the month of Ramadan, uh, when this verse was revealed and the fast of Ramadan became obligatory, it was a hardship on the people, it was difficult. For that reason, Allah gave the every believer option. Those who were able to fast with difficulty and those who were able to fast with ease. They had the difficulty to fast the month of Ramadan or to feed a poor person instead. There was an option. That was in the beginning. And in the first stage was that the fasting was only Ashura and after that the month of Ramadan became obligatory. But there was an option either to fast or to feed a poor person. And this is mentioned in a report from Mu'az ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu who said that in the beginning those who wished fasted, meaning fasting the month of Ramadan. And those who wished did not fast. And whoever didn't fast, they should feed a poor person for each day. Um, and this is understood in the words of the ayah as it goes on, وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُفِيقُونَهُ فِدْيَةٌ فَعَمْ this means that those who are able to fast with difficulty, there is some hardship in it, then what is obligatory on them is that they pay the fidya, that they feed a poor person for every day that they are unable to fast. And he mentions a number of narrations uh, that have been reported authentically from Abdul ibn Umar, Abdul ibn Abbas, and Muhammad ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu all of them stating basically the same thing, that in the beginning there was an option for the people either to fast or to feed a poor person. Later on, this option was removed, it was abrogated, uh, and this is reported from Ubaidullah, from Nafi, from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, Allah be pleased with him and his father, who said that it was Mansukha, that this, the option in this ayah to fast or to feed a poor person, it was 
or abrogate. The abrogation here, as we discuss in detail, the abrogation here that Abdul ibn Abbas is referring to is the, is the abrogation of the option for those who are able to fast without difficulty. There has been no option. Later on, that was abrogated, and everyone uh, who was able to fast, even if there was some difficulty involved in it, as long as they had the ability, then it was obligatory, and then to fast, and there is no option here to feed a poor person. So the abrogation was partial, and it was an abrogation for those who are able to fast without any real hardship or causing any harm to them, or those who are really unable to fast, such as the elderly man and the elderly woman, or the pregnant woman, or breastfeeding woman, then they, the ruling of the option to feed a poor person remained as a rukhsa for those people. This is the essence of the discussion in this, I mean, actually, this portion which in the translation has been somewhat summarized and we have summarized it even further but in the actual text, in the original text here you can hear it's much more lengthy this is the essence of what is mentioned concerning this matter Ibn Abbas said in other places in some of the narrations that are mentioned in the original text that, uh, that it's not abrogated and here it appears to be a contradiction in one place he's saying that it's abrogated and other places saying it's not abrogated Many of this is that the abrogation was in, in, in general, in reference to the Muslims in general, but the fact that it wasn't abrogated is only a reference to a specific, a specific group from amongst the Muslims, and that means those people who are elderly, elderly men or women, or those people who have a sickness that they don't expect to be cured, and they don't expect to recover from it, then there would be no chance for them to make up the days, in that case they're allowed to uh, feed a poor person instead, and under their ruling also comes the pregnant women and breastfeeding women. Although there is a great ikhtilaf or difference of opinion concerning the pregnant women and the breastfeeding women in the books of fiqh, but it's not our intention at this point to discuss the issue of fiqh. For the ones to refer back to it, um, you can look in any of the major books of fiqh, especially those which are primarily based uh, their discussion on the evidences from the authentic sunnah you can find their discussions and perhaps even in English in the book Siyam uh, and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or the fast of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam by uh, Sheikh Salim Hilali and Ali Hassan uh, they have compiled and most of the matters or the rulings concerning fasting and, and they also discuss this issue in detail the next point uh, that he mentions here after mentioning the number of days being limited and that those who are sick and who are traveling فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيبًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَامِ الْأُخْرِ and those who are sick or who are travel- travelers that they have to make up uh, those days by other days later on they have to make up the days that needed in fast وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يَتِيَقُونَهُ قِدْوَةٌ فَعَمْ مِسْكِينَ and for those who can only fast with difficulty, then it's obligatory and then it's best to fast if you're a poor person. فَمَنْ تَتَوَّعَ خَيْرًا فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَهُ وَأَنْ تَصُومُ خَيْرًا لَكُمْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear that the theory of a poor person is what is mandatory and obligatory and the one who breaks the fast with a legitimate reason, even in the beginning, the option was there to everyone, or later on, those who have a legitimate reason to break the fast, feeding one poor person is what is obligatory on them. However, if anyone did more than that voluntarily, out of their own goodwill, then it is better that a person does more 
voluntarily, and that which is obligatory, and this is general in Islam. In general, it is a general principle that even though the cat has a minimum fixed amount from wealth or cattle or crops or whatever, a little bit more than that, then it's better to give more. And likewise, the five prayers that they are obligatory on us, whoever prays more than that is better, and fasting and so on. This is the general rule, whoever voluntarily does good and is better for him. However, and even better than that, and better than feeding extra people for the one who broke the fast, but fasting, if you actually fast, then that's better for you if you only know. Then, when he talks about, and in the tafsir, he talks about the fidya, the expiation for breaking the fast, and for the old, and the sick person, uh, and the breastfeeding woman, and the pregnant woman. And here he talks, he mentions, and from amongst the athar, or that which has been recorded from the companions of the Prophet وسلم, uh, in reference to this matter is the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu when he became uh, older, when he was elderly and unable to fast for the last year or two years of his life as mentioned by al-Bukhari rahimahullah he was unable to fast so he used to prepare some food and invite a number of people and the number of days that he didn't fast 30 days invite a group of people, 30 people and let everyone eat to their until they had enough. And this was the figure or the feeding of a poor person in place of the, um, the days that were missed for the persons unable to fast. Then he goes on to the next verses. Actually, in the original text, a long discussion concerning some legal matters. Um, but it's not um, that relevant, uh, especially in light of the time. Except the I'm passing to say that um, the discussion is concerning whether or not those who uh, have a legitimate reason not to fast and what is upon them. And he says here that there are two opinions. One uh, opinion is that it's not a good determinant to feed anyone. And contrary to the obvious meaning of the ayah, some of the scholars said it's not a good determinant on that person to feed anyone. Since they were unable to fast, since they didn't have the ability to fast, they said that nothing is upon them because Allah doesn't hold anyone responsible for that if they don't have the ability to bear. And that's a general rule, that's true. But in this case, because there's a specific text that's contrary to that, then the general rule is clarified by the fact that, although in general, the one who is unable, for example, to stand in prayer, when they are exempt from standing in prayer, and they have to do what they have the ability to do. And if they didn't have the ability even to sit, and then they lay down and so on, according to one's ability. But in this case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear that the one who is unable to fast, that they have to feed a poor person. So the second opinion he said, which is the correct opinion, the opinion of the majority of the scholars, is that they do have to make up the day uh, which they didn't fast. Then he goes to the last verse, Shahr Ramadan, and let me read the Quran. The month of Ramadan, 
in which the Quran was revealed, or the Quran was sent down in the month of Ramadan. And in reference to the Quran, he says, Hudan bin min wal That the Quran has been sent down in the month of Ramadan as a guidance for the people, and as clear proofs of the guidance and as a criterion in Furqan, a criterion between right and wrong, between truth and falsehood, etc. So whoever are you witnesses the month, meaning whoever, whoever is resident and whoever is not traveling, they are at home in their land at the time when the Hilal is cited by the month he leaves, then he is obligated, he must fast that month. For the one who is resident, as for those who are traveling, then they are excused until they are resident again in the midst of the days that they miss and likewise the sick person. When they أو على سفر فائدة من أيام الأخر here Allah repeats the ruling concerning those who are sick and those who are traveling and Ibn Kathir mentions concerning this so the reason for the repetition of this is because after the original uh, ruling that there was an option for either fasting or feeding a poor person after that was abrogated in general for the Muslims in general then here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeats that there's an exception for the sick person and the traveler to make it clear that that abrogation is not for all people, it's for the general body of the Muslims, but there are people who are exempt from it, and for amongst those who are exempt are the sick and the traveler, and what is upon them is to make up the days at another time. We read Allah Allah wants for you ease, and He does not want for you difficulty. And this is also a general rule, and this is one of the great aspects or the beauty, beautiful aspects of Islam, Al-Yusra, Al-Yusra, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want difficulty for the people, but He wants ease for the people. And the original rule concerning the laws which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated and the obligations which He has placed upon us is that they are easy. The original ruling is whatever Allah has made a bridge on us, it's easy and everyone is capable to do it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't make an obligation on us that we don't have the ability to perform. However, in certain cases where the person's specific condition might cause some difficulty for them and that which has been made obligatory, and the Sharia has allowances. And this is the meaning here of the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we need Allah to become the Yusra, wa la yuridu become the Usra. Allah wants for the ease, He does not want for you difficulty. وَلِتُكْمِلُ الْعِدَّةِ وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهِ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ and also, you must complete the number, in case the number of days, in case anyone has an idea that the fast of Ramadan can be performed even in part, when he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as some of the scholars say, is making it clear that you must, even though Allah wants ease for you, but ease doesn't mean that you can reduce the number of days of Ramadan, but you have to complete the number of Ramadan, while you to with Allah, and also you should glorify Allah, declaring the greatness of Allah, by saying Allahu Akbar, with the meaning that comes behind that expression, praising and glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that which He has guided us to. And that is the guidance of Islam and the right way to worship Him and the tawfiq of the success in completing the month of Ramadan for, for those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them that success. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ That perhaps you will be thankful. Here he mentions a number of things from amongst the points that he mentions concerning this question uh, is that the month of Ramadan is the month in which the Qur'an was sent down. 
and its objective is that it's a guidance for mankind. And this is important that we look at these words carefully and consider how they affect us as individuals and how it affects the Muslims of the society when we understand that the Qur'an was sent down with an objective. Who then will that? It wasn't sent down just to be recited with beautiful voices, but it was sent down for the people to reflect on it, to absorb its meaning. As we said last week, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, why don't they reflect or ponder on the Qur'an, on the meaning of the Qur'an? Uh, here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us to know that one of the objectives of the Qur'an is that it was sent down as a guidance. Therefore, when we read the Qur'an, rather than trying to speak through it and read as much as possible and complete it, for example, as we did in Ramadan, complete the whole of the Qur'an at least once or twice or three times or many times over, what's more important than that is reading the Qur'an and recognizing that its objective is that it be a guidance for us. Therefore, we should seek the guidance, try to understand the meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to us so that it will be the guidance for us. And also, it contains clear proofs of guidance and it is also a criterion between right and wrong. So that uh, this is the, I mean, one of the signs that the month of Ramadan has been singled out and given a, uh, it has been given a special status because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the month of Ramadan over other months just as He chose the prophets over the rest of humanity and the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa amongst the prophets and He chose the angels the birth, amongst the other angels and so on. And He chose the Qur'an to be the final revelation and He chose you and I to be from amongst those who believe in Him. And for all of these things we should be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Perhaps you will be thankful. So here He mentions the virtue of Ramadan and the revelation of the Qur'an in it that it was in this month that the Qur'an was revealed. He really mentions the virtues of the Qur'an that it was sent as a guidance and clear proofs and he says the Qur'an uh, in that he mentioned these things, these characteristics of the Qur'an. Then he goes to the topic of the obligation of the fast of Ramadan and in the words that whoever of you witnesses or is present during the time when the month of Ramadan begins, they are present at their home. They are in their place of residence, they are not a traveler, and that person is obligated to fast for that month. Of course, the meaning of fasting for the month means as long as they are living. But if they travel on the month, although some of the scholars said otherwise, but the opinion of the majority of scholars is that the meaning here, whoever is, is present at the time of the beginning of the month, but they have to fast the month, means that they have to fast as long as they are, but if they travel, then the exception for the travel is applicable even if they were resident when the month began. Uh, then he says that this verse abrogated the verse that allows a choice of fasting or playing the figure. And in the beginning, he said that the first stage when Ramadan uh, was made obligatory, that the Muslims had an option. Uh, all of the people had a general option either to fast or to pay the fidya, feeding a poor person. This verse uh, abrogated that verse. Then whoever of you is resident when the month begins in their homes, then they must fast. This is an obligation. There's no more. This is an uh, abrogation. There's no more option of either fasting or 
saying the fibula. Then he says that Allah mentioned the permission for the old person who traveled to break the fast and to fast other days instead of compensation. And this indicates that the ill person or the sick person were unable to fast or fear harm by fasting. And if they fasted, they would and aggravate or agitate their situation. And likewise, the traveler were allowed to break the fast uh, and make up the days that they were out of days. Many reasons are worth. We need Allah with the Yusra, we need the Yusra, but Allah wants to renew the development from the difficulty. And this verse indicates that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows these people, that is the, the sick person and the traveler, out of his mercy, he has allowed them to break the fast to make it easy for them. Uh, however, when they are well, and when they return to their homes, then they are obligated to make up the day. We mentioned a number of rulings and masail or issues about which there are I mean, there's difference of opinion amongst the scholars and there are a number of things that we mentioned here amongst them is whether or not the person who is a traveler is obligated to break their fast or not and is it an obligation for the person who is traveling to break their fast or do they have the option we mentioned a number of evidences from amongst those evidences is the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu ordering his companions, breaking his fast while he was traveling and ordering his companions also to break their fast. And from this some of the scholars said that it's obligatory for the traveling person. They don't have an option, but it's obligatory on them to break the fast. And then mentions other evidences such as the hadith in which the Prophet on another occasion was traveling with his companions and it was a very difficult time due to the intense heat. And only the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu ibn Sawaha radiallahu anhu were fasting and the rest of them had broken their fast which is an indication on the contrary that when you are fasting it is permissible to fast and some of the scholars made the jamma or tawfiq or the, the combining of the various opinions and the various evidences that appear on the surface to be contradictory by saying that the correct opinion is that the one who is traveling and due to their travel finds difficulty and hardship in the fast. And for that person who is obligated to break the fast, as for the one who finds no difficulty or hardship in the fast, then they may break the fast if they will, it's a permission, or they may fast if they will, it's allowed as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has done. Uh, <coughs> and this is stated here, he mentions the hadith, من أفطر فحسن whoever broke his fast, and this is good. وَمَنْ صَامَ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ Some of the there's no blame on him. So that, perhaps you might understand that whoever broke the fast is good, that in any way it's an encouragement, but of course every person according to their situation and circumstance, but whoever fasted and didn't break their fast, there's no blame on him. That person shouldn't be criticized. And the other narrations will show that on many of the occasions when the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu traveled, some of them were fasting and others were not. And those who fasted didn't criticize those who broke the fast. Most of those who broke the fast criticized those who continued fasting. After mentioning these narrations and this, this discussion, then he comes to the last point that the Prophet ibn Kathir mentions in this section concerning these verses. Uh, one of them is the topic of al-Yusr, 
in this dimension in the sin of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يريد الله بكم اليسرى ولا يريد بكم العسرى that Allah intends for you al-yusra ease and he doesn't intend for you al-usra difficulty and this can be understood in many ways the general meaning of it can be applicable to other things not only to fasting but the general meaning of it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he doesn't intend by making it obligatory on us to fast for the month of Ramadan, he doesn't intend difficulty. It's not the intention. It's not Allah's intention to make a hardship on the believers. That's not Allah's intention. In fact, He wants for us ease. And this can be understood in reference to every obligation which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made obligatory on us. From fasting or prayers or hajj or otherwise. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't intend difficulty. The deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is easy. And He doesn't intend for us in difficulty but intends for us ease. This is clearly understood from these verses of the Quran. And then Al Hafiz al Kathir Rahmahullah mentions from the Muslim bin Ahmed to the narration from Anas ibn Malik, radiallahu anhu, who said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Yassiru walatu asiru. Yassiru walatu asiru. Ta'ani, treat the people with ease. Or be easy with the people and don't be harsh and hard with the people. Don't be rude and stern and stiff. With those things where Allah SWT has made some allowance. And then he said, وَتَكْشِرُوا وَلَا تُنَفِّرُوا And in some of the narrations, تَشْرُوا وَلَا تُنَفِّرُوا That I give glad tidings and don't make the people run away from you run away from the name of Allah. This is also a general principle that Muslims should try to be easy with others and not be harsh and hard. The Prophet ﷺ, he was not harsh and hard. He was kind and he was compassionate and he was easy in his dealings with the people. And this is the general attitude that a Muslim should have with others, especially with the believers. And he says, give them glad tidings and don't show them with aversion. Meaning, try to encourage the people with the good news that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to those who believe in Him and worship Him alone and don't worship anything besides Him. Then let them know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has offered a great reward for them to Jannah. So we should give the people the good news, call them to Allah and give them the good news of Jannah. And perhaps also in these words, indirectly, there is an indication of the encouragement on the Muslims to give da'wah. Because this instruction is not limited to our dealings with one another, but it also means for the people in general. And when the Prophet says, This is one of the principles of da'wah, that when we deal with Muslims or non-Muslims, in calling the Muslims to the correct Islam, and calling them back to righteousness and the obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for being ready from that, that we should give them the good news of the reward of Allah. And don't be harsh with people so that we run them away from the deen of Allah. And likewise with the non-Muslims, the Kafirs, we should try to encourage them to come to Allah. Offer them the paradise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who believe in Him and who obey Him and worship Him alone. And don't run people away. In Dawah, some of the scholars said that the people of three types those who call to the deen of Allah with their words 
and those who call to the name of Allah with their actions. Yani they invite people to Allah and also their behavior in dealing with people is also an invitation to Allah. And there are those who call to Allah with their work, but the way they deal with people, they run people away from Islam. And there are those who turn people away from Islam with their work as well as with their actions. So we should be of those who call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with our words as well as with our actions and our behavior. Uh, he says here, you are allowed to break the fast while ill, and this is the ease in reference to the fast, and it's in general, and while traveling and so forth, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it's in his mind, is easy for you, he only commanded you to make up the mistakes so that you complete the days of the month. Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to complete the days so that the person will complete that month and get the reward that they will get for fasting in the month of Ramadan and also to escape from the punishment that they deserve for disobeying Allah and not completing the obligation which is placed upon us. And finally, the last topic that he mentioned is remembering Allah upon performing the acts of worship. And here, this is what is understood from the words of Allah. وَلَيْتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهُ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَلَعَلَكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ uh, that you may magnify Allah, that is to say, Allahu Akbar, Takbir, uh, for having guided you and for having given us the success to come to Islam and continue the obligation which He has placed upon us, uh, that perhaps we may be thankful. Um, and here also, some of the scholars and many of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, understood that these words are applicable in general to glorifying Allah and they're also specifically applicable to the saying of Sakbir for the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reference to the completion of the number of days of Ramadan that when we complete the month of Ramadan and it's from the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, to say Sakbir to go in the streets, in the marketplace in our homes or wherever we may be at the completion of the month of Ramadan glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by some of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, such as uh, Abu Huraira and I think Abdullah bin Umar they used to go out making the takbir out loud and in some of the narrations they mentioned that they used to go into the marketplace saying takbir and the people would and take the lead from them that is the people would be reminded of this sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, and they would also do so so the general the meaning here is praising Allah for the favor that he has given us and the success that he has given us and the specific meaning is the saying of takbir itself out loud uh, wherever we may go at the completion of Ramadan until the time of the prayer of Salat al-Eid on the day of Eid. <coughs> this is the end of what he mentions here. Uh, there are a few comments according to the time. There's still a few moments remaining. Perhaps we can just quickly discuss a few comments uh, concerning what has been mentioned um, in these verses. And from amongst them is that the wisdom of the legislation of fasting is mentioned in the first verse of this group, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَسْتَقِينَ that perhaps you may achieve a taqwa. Because fasting it is one of the most important causes or the means or the ways to achieve a taqwa because in fasting we are able to number one fulfill 
uh, apart and which are understood from this taqwa from the fasting is that a person leaves off or abandons that which Allah has prohibited of eating and drinking and marital relations during the daylight hours and those things are normally lawful but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them prohibited to us in this specific time in Ramadan for these particular hours so a person avoids that which Allah has prohibited us in that time even though they are inclined to those things and they have a desire to engage in them and likewise, uh, by avoiding those things which Allah has prohibited, we hope to get near to Allah and to earn His reward. And from amongst the benefits of a taqwa is that the fasting person trains themselves to have consciousness of Allah, muraqabatullah, to know they are aware, they are more aware that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is seeing them and that Allah is hearing what they are saying and Allah knows everything that they do. So even though they are inclined to something, while fasting the person is more conscious and they, they are able to control themselves more because they are more conscious of Allah. While every time they have an inclination to eat or drink, they realize that they have to refrain from that in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for these few hours, for these few days in the month of Ramadan. Also, uh, from amongst the benefits of a taqwa or that of fasting is that the person who is fasting generally generally increases in acts of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala generally we find that especially in the month of Ramadan the Muslims are closer to Allah and they are performing their prayers in Jama'ah in the masjid even if they don't do the rest of the year and they are giving charity and helping the poor and the needy even though they may not be inclined to do so at other times and the Muslims turn to the Qur'an and read the Book of Allah and Ramadan more than any other time and so on. The being of good deeds is increased in general for most of the believers, for most of the Muslims when they are fasting because fasting encourages this. Uh, also, then, uh, in closing, before I'm closing, there are some points that we should mention concerning what is understood, or in summary, of what is understood from these verses. As some of the scholars mention that these verses as a group indicate, number one, uh, that fasting has been made obligatory because it is a means to achieve a taqwa, and because it trains the person to control themselves and it helps them to engage in acts of obedience. Also, in these verses, it's understood that fasting has made, been made obligatory on the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, just as it was made obligatory on the previous nations. Yeah, it's not something exclusive or specific to the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, but we should know that it was also made obligatory on others so that no one should feel that it's a great hardship that people be forced also were obligated to fast and in fact it's a chance for us to compete with the previous nations as the Prophet wants to or encourage that and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed him that his ummah would be the most numerous of people who would be entering the paradise and the first who would enter the paradise likewise and he would be the first person to enter and his ummah would be the first person following him. Uh, also in these verses there is the permission it is an allowance for the sick person and the traveling person to break their fast. And 
this making of the fast is an act of obedience to Allah. Yani the sick person or the traveling person, when they make their fast, they shouldn't feel that they have fallen short in any way. But they should know that in what they are doing, it is from Allah's legislation, and when they do it, it is an act of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the only thing that they have to do is make up the days which they have missed. Also, the obligation of fasting in the month of Ramadan, it is an obligation on the Muslims in general, but some of the scholars said that this obligation should be understood, that it is for the Muslim who is of the age of responsibility, who is physically and otherwise psychologically or otherwise able and who is resident, which means that the person who is not a Muslim is not obligated to fast in the month of Ramadan. They are not obligated to fast and therefore no Muslim should say to the non-Muslim, why aren't you fasting? They shouldn't say so because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't made it obligatory on them. Although on Yom Qiyamah they will be called to account for all that they did in this world of evil and also for not engaging in fasting and prayer. But the general body of the Muslim scholars said that fasting in Ramadan is not an obligation on the non-Muslims. It's not an obligation on the Muslims. And likewise, the person who has reached the age of responsibility, the age of maturity, is also not obligated to fast, though the companions of the Prophet used to encourage their children to fast in the month of Ramadan, and as was reported by Imam al-Bukhari, that they used to give their children some toys made out of cotton in order to distract them from their hunger. When they became hungry and started crying asking for food, they used to try to distract them by giving them some toys to play with until they could complete the day of fasting, which means that although the child who hasn't reached the age of responsibility is not obligated to fast, but it is encouraged it is encouraged that they should fast or at least do some fasting some days in Ramadan or some portions of the day so that they can train themselves for the time when it becomes a military on them. And likewise the person who is unable physically or mentally, psychologically or otherwise to fast, it's not a big on them to fast, and according to the condition of the person, they may have to either make up the days later when their condition changed, or they have to feed a poor person for every day that they didn't fast. And likewise, the person who is resident is obligated, while the person who is a traveler is not obligated. In these verses, also, we see the beauty and the excellence of the Islamic law, the Sharia Islamia, in that it provides an ease in those places where there is a need to relax the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is an ease. And this is not only found in fasting, but also in the prayers, there is an ease for the one who cannot stand to sit. And uh, there is an ease for the one who is traveling, for example, who doesn't find water to make tayammum, and so on. And in all of the matters of worship, there are some facility or some ease that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made for those who find any difficulty. Well, the original rule is that what Allah has legislated is easy for us, but yet if there is any difficulty found in it, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made a facility or an ease. And finally, uh, he mentions here that it is mustahab to make the tatmir on the night of Eid al-Fitr until the Imam performs the Salat al-Eid. And this has been reported from a number, a number of companions, specifically Abdul ibn Abbas and Abdul ibn Mas'ud, that they used to do so. so. Perhaps we can stop here for the time and for the Salat is very near. And um, if there are any comments or corrections or questions, uh, then we can look at them now.
sisters have any comments or any questions or corrections, please feel free to send us a short note. No. The ruling concerning uh, the traveler, it is applicable, as, as many of the scholars mentioned in the books of Tafsir, even, it was mentioned here, but in trying to summarize, it passed me, exactly how for the question he gave chance to mention this, that um, the person, the traveler who is allowed to pray for fast and make her days up later, is the same person who is allowed to shorten their prayers. The person who is allowed, who is on a journey, that allows them to shorten their prayers is the person who is allowed to break the fast and make up the days later. And so, who is the person that's allowed to shorten their prayers? The opinion of the scholars of many. And the difference of opinion concerning this is a big issue, a big topic that many we couldn't discuss even in one sitting. But the summary of it is that some of the scholars made the definition of the traveling person according to the, the amount of time that they traveled. And some made it according to the distance that they traveled. And some said according to the customs of the people, what they considered as a traveler. And the correct opinion, after examining all of the opinions of the scholars and the evidences that they mentioned for their opinions, is that there is no proof. There is no proof. This is what the major scholars who examined the issues carefully and you can find the discussion concerning this, for example, in Nadal Alpha by Imam al-Shawkani, Alhamdulillah, as well as in Fatul Bari by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Askarani, and some of the other major books, like the Explanation of the Living Quran, Sufi Salam, and books like this, you will find that the scholars have discussed these things, and you will see that Al-Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Rahimahullah, mentions in his Majmu'ah Fatawa, that the correct opinion as he stated and others stated that there is no authentic, clear text from the Qur'an or from the Sunnah that limits by time or by distance who is the traveler. That is the Qur'an, Allah doesn't mention in the Qur'an that there is a particular time limit or distance that one may travel in order to shorten their prayers. Nor did the Prophet specify in the authentic Sunnah. There is no hadith that is both sahih and sahih. If it is sahih, it is not sahih, it's not clear. And if it is clear, it is not sahih. Whatever the people brought, they did be an authentic hadith that is also clear in this issue which limited the traveling person to shorten his prayer to a distance, traveled or a time period. So that the opinions of the scholars should all be respected in this issue and those who follow a particular opinion based on examining the evidences and they feel that it is correct 48 uh, miles or 60 miles or whatever opinion that they may follow 
for a number of days, then it's legitimate. But in fact, the reality, I see, is as Shirin Samantini said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't make it, but He made it look luck. He made it look luck that whoever is traveling when they shorten their prayers. And this is a general rule that we have in Islam, it is agreed upon by the scholars of Usul, that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it look luck, open, then we, are, we don't have the right to restrict it. And whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it limited, then we don't have the right to open it up. So if the Quran made it open, look luck, and the Prophet also made it open, except how the scholars looked at different incidents that he traveled for a certain number of days and he shortened his prayers. And another one looked at a different incident when he traveled for a certain number of days and shortened his prayers. And based on that, they came to their conclusions. But there's no statement from the Prophet saying that if you travel this distance, or you travel for this many days, then that's the person who's entitled to shorten your prayers. Allah knows this. Passing. What about the woman who comes some days during the month, usually her period? No. And then, did not make up those days until the following Ramadan comes, which she hasn't made up those days. No. What about it? Yes. I mean, otherwise she would just make up those days. If she missed the Ramadan, she would make them up. But if she hasn't made them up, and the next Ramadan comes, no. what's her case? The case of the woman who didn't make up the days that were missed in Ramadan due to whatever reason, sickness or menses or after childbirth or whatever. And likewise, and likewise the men who missed any days for whatever reason, it is applicable equally. It is obligatory to make up those days. And that obligation is, I mean, it is a debt that the person owes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, the person should hasten to fulfill their debt and not delay it. They should hasten to do it. The correct opinion is that that person doesn't have the right to delay making up those days. But they should make them up as soon as they are able and as quickly as possible. Whether they make them up consecutively or separately, but hastening to do it. And whoever doesn't do so and the next year comes, the next Ramadan comes, then it is sinful. It is sinful. And they should repent to Allah. And when they complete the following Ramadan, when that Ramadan is finished, they should begin making up those days immediately. It is sinful. And some of the scholars, according to the Hanbali Madhab, they said that that person also has to pay a ransom as a penalty for that having later the fact before the coming Ramadan. But as Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, said, in contradiction to his madhab, the madhab of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, he said that there is no proof that there is a penalty in the Quran or in the Sunnah for the women who delayed making up their days until the next Ramadan. And this is the correct opinion, that there is no penalty. But today is sinful. It is an act of disobedience and they should return to Allah and hasten to make up those days which they have missed. Some of the scholars said that according to the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, as recorded by al-Bukhari, that she used to 
uh, make up the days that she lived in Ramadan, she didn't use to make them up except in the month of Sha'ban. She didn't use to make them up except in the month of Sha'ban. They said that this is a proof that it has to be made up before the coming year. And some said it's also a proof that we don't have to hasten, you can make it up at any time, as long as you do it before the coming year. But if you look at the narration of this hadith in both Al-Bukhari and Muslim, where the wording is slightly different in each of them, or both of them indicate that she said that she was not able, I wasn't able to make up those days until Sha'ban. Which means that the reason why she delayed it wasn't because she was able, but she just said, you know, it's open, I can do it when I want. But she delayed it because of her inability. And therefore, the one who has the ability tells me this hadith as a proof. But they have to make it up if they have the ability. This is the real understanding of this hadith as mentioned by Hafiz al Hadith Iskalani and Fatul Bari in explaining that hadith. But the correct understanding of the hadith is that she didn't make up the days until Sha'ban, which was the end of the year before the next Ramadan, because of inability, because of her position or status with the Prophet and being in the service of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, she was able to do it until that time. Therefore, the one who is able should make it up and hasten. Yani the general rule is hastening in the doing of good, doesn't have any obligation upon them, or making up days, or making up anything that they missed as the obligation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they should make them up as soon as possible. They should make it up as soon as possible, for no one knows when sickness would befall them, or when death would overcome them, and they would die in debt to Allah with an obligation that they have the ability to fulfill and they wouldn't do it. Then they will answer to Allah, and that's a sad and a, a serious situation for the person to be in, who has the ability and didn't do it. And it's mentioned from Umar ibn Khattab anhu in reference to the person who had the ability to perform Hajj and didn't do it. He said it's just as well if they had died as a Christian or Jew. And the person who has the ability to fulfill obligation upon them, but they didn't do it, they delayed it. I'll do it later on when I get older, when I get more religious. But you don't have the, you don't have the right to do so. If Allah has made an obligation and you have the ability, then you should do it as soon as you have the ability without delay. Because if Allah takes your soul before you fulfill it, then you stand before Allah with that death, and that is something that no one can carry. And Allah knows that. Uh, there's a question from the sisters. Is it related to this point? Let me just take the question quickly before we have to leave. If a person is unable to pass due to poor health, but is also poor and unable to feed others, what should he do? Can someone feed the poor on his behalf? Now, someone can feed the poor on his behalf, or on her behalf, or on anyone's behalf. Uh, as far as the person who is unable to fast and they are also unable to feed a poor person, then perhaps the reason for this person, if they didn't become able and they died in that condition, is that they are excused because Allah, so Allah doesn't yeah, place the responsibility on a person who has the ability to bear. If the person, if Allah subhanahu who controls everything, he, he ordains that that person will be sick and unable to fast. And he also ordains that that person's sustenance or means will be restricted so that they were unable to feed the poor person. But it is Allah subhanahu who put them in that condition, and Allah knows that they are in that condition, and they are free from the responsibility. And whoever is unable to fulfill a responsibility, then they are excused from it, unless they become able. When they become able, then they have to do it. As the Prophet said, that a person who didn't perform the prayer because they slept, or because they forgot, or because they were compelled, then they should make the prayer as soon as they remember. 
as soon as they awaken, as soon as they are free from that يعني, compulsion. Therefore, a person who is unable to feed a poor person and they are unable to fast, then there is no obligation on them. They are free from that obligation. Unless they become able to fast later, they should make up the days, or they become able to feed the poor person later, then they should feed those people for the days that they miss. miss. Otherwise, when that person will be in the condition, as was one of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, who had sexual relations with his wife during the daylight hours, during the month of Ramadan, anything to the Prophet وسلم, experienced such, and he told them that you have to fast for 60 consecutive days. The reason for such an act is that the person has to fast for 60 consecutive days, for two months, continuous. And if they miss one day, then they have to start all over again. That person said, I don't have the ability to do it. When the Prophet وسلم, said, then you should feed 64 people. And he said, who's more poor than me and my family? There's nobody between the two mountains and Medina poor than us. We don't have the ability to feed anyone also. Then after some time, somebody came with a basket of dates and gave it to the Prophet and the Prophet gave it to him and told him to feed the people with this. And he made that statement that there's no one poor than him. The Prophet smiled and he left him. He left him without obligating him to fast those days or to feed the poor. Which means that the person who is unable to fulfill an obligation, then Allah Taala frees him from that obligation and doesn't hold it again. And this is also understood in the Hadith of the Prophet from Imran ibn Hussein رضي الله عنه when he came to the Prophet and asked him about praying because he was sick and the Prophet told him that you must pray standing but if you are unable then pray sitting and if you are unable then pray lying on your side this means that the obligation is in accordance with the person's ability and Allah knows best there's a difference of opinion about it, but what's agreed upon is the girl, if she has had menses, or the boy, if he has seminal emission in his sleep, or if there is hair growing in the pubic areas, this is agreed upon. Some of the scholars said the age of 15, but these other signs which are confirmed in the Sunnah may happen before 15. And if they do, even at an early age, then it becomes obligatory. Especially in certain parts of the world, uh, the children, especially the girls, develop and mature more rapidly than in other places. Even before the age of 15, they may have reached the age of responsibility. If those signs are seen, then they have reached the age of puberty. And therefore, they are obligated to fast and they are obligated to pray and they have obligations that are found in the rest of the Muslims. And Allah knows this. Uh, another question from the sister. Should you encourage your children to fast outside of Ramadan also? Allah Ta'ala. But in general, I don't really think that we should encourage them to fast outside of Ramadan. But in general, we should encourage our children to do good deeds and acts of obedience to Allah and worship according to their ability. Whether fasting or prayers or dressing like a Muslim or whatever, all of these things should be encouraged at the earliest age in order to prepare those children and train them to do these things when they reach the age of responsibility. And perhaps that also includes fasting outside of Ramadan. If it's not a hardship on the child and it wouldn't cause any harm to them, then it's beneficial. Inshallah, they will get the reward and the parent will also get the reward for encouraging them. And Allah knows best. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka.